The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC Always Be Celebrating. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another edition of the Dooley Noted Podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. I know you had to go without last week. No, there was not two of them last week. There were not two of them. Get the grammar right. Um, There will be two this week, though. So if you, uh, on Thanksgiving, you get done with your, your dinner and... You're getting ready to watch some football, or maybe it's it's late night Thursday. Thursday night, there will be another one posted uh, where we're going to look ahead at all the great rivalry games that are coming up this week, including, of course, Florida FSU. Chris Doring will be joining us for that one. Today, Chris Harry, it's, it's the two Chris's. Chris Harry will be joining us to talk some Gator basketball. Chris Harry, of course, from FloridaGators.com, does a great job, was at Charleston, uh, for that, uh, I was supposed to go. There's, it's a long, long story about why I didn't go, um, and I'll share it with you sometime if you want. It's not worth wasting the time on here. Um, I do want to talk basketball, but I, again, this is football season, okay? So we're going to mainly talk football. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball, and then we'll have Chris on for a good, you know, good segment to talk a little bit about it. But obviously. Um, the, the events of this weekend uh, changed some things. And I, one thing that I, I did love about this weekend, now I, it, it's kind of sad. I spent 11 hours in my recliner watching football. I would get up to use the restroom. I would get up to occasionally go get a bowl of this great soup that my, my wife made. You just kind of, that's what she likes to do on a football Saturday when I'm home is make a pot of something, whether it's chili or, or, uh, sometimes, uh, white, uh, chili or, um, soup or, or Brunswick stew, which I love. And then you just kind of go when you're hungry, you go eat when you're not hungry, you don't eat. Um, and pace myself very well, I gotta say, uh, in a lot of ways, but, um, it was just great. My wife actually said uh, to my daughter, I can't believe I'm married to somebody who for 11 hours sat and watched TV and didn't do anything else. And uh, I should, I haven't said this to her, but I should, I should say, your, your comment should be, I can't believe I married someone who would sit and do nothing else for 11 hours. Because you knew what you were getting when you married me. When we were dating we used to have four TVs on the open day, and Robbie and everybody, and we'd have all these people over, and we'd be sack on three, tackle on two, touchdown on one. You know, we were into it, uh, and that's I haven't changed. I love watching college football, and I only did it with one television, This, which was amazing. I just got the thumb working perfectly and ended up spending a lot of time watching the Miami game, which was unbelievable, uh, the way FIU dominated the game. And uh, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit about what it means. And of course, watched um, the Oregon loss, uh, which certainly crippled the Pac 12 a little bit, and Oklahoma close call. And I mentioned this in my column, but 
why can't we get better at spotting the football? I, I, it drives me crazy when I'm watching a game. And you'll see, for example, and this didn't happen in this game, but the spot of that ball was terrible. It was a terrible spot, and they couldn't overturn it. I get why they couldn't overturn it, but it was a terrible spot. It was This mistake was made at the start. If you didn't see the game, Oklahoma was trying to run out the clock, and um, the quarterback sneak, and he doesn't even come close. His helmet doesn't even reach the, the uh, down marker. But at any rate... I don't know why we can't get better at that. It drives me crazy when you'll see the ball spotted. Let's say it's spotted at the 42-and-a-half-yard line. And and they'll say, well, we got to move the ball back over to the hash marks. And you'll throw it to the guy, and he'll spot it, and it'll be four inches behind it. And while it may not seem like a lot, it is a lot. It's something. It's a game of inches, right? Drives me nuts. It has driven me nuts for a long time, and now everybody's freaking out about it. It drives me nuts. The sloppiness of spotting a football. I could give you an entire podcast on it. I'm not going to. It drives me nuts. It's just one of the many things of college football. And I we talked about this way back in the preseason. College football has a lot of annoying things. and that, That's one I, sh- I didn't list, but I'm adding it to the list. The inability of, of referees and officials to spot the football with consistency. But look. There is more to it than that. I'm going to get to Florida FSU. Just let me have my my say here. There is more to it, that Oklahoma-TCU game, than that. When Oklahoma got the pick late in the game, uh, which was a huge interception, although basically he should have batted it down because it was fourth down. But they get the pick late in the game, and their entire defense sprints from one end of the field to the other with teammates coming off the bench with their helmets off in the field of play all the way to the end zone and pose for a fake picture. There's no penalty there. Now, would that have made a difference in the game? Probably not. But the lack of consistency in in officiating from conference to conference and what is a penalty and what isn't. Here's another one for you. And Look, that should have been a 15-yard penalty. In fact, I might have given them 30 because you had guys running off the bench. This was like the Miami kickoff play against Duke where the referees just turned a blind eye to it. But like, for example, if you remember back in 2008, actually it would have been 2009, but 2008 season, early in the in the national championship game, Lewis Murphy caught a nice pass for uh, first down, got up and signaled first down. 15-yard penalty went against him. Now, everybody does it. In fact, you don't even have to get the first down anymore. I saw it I, might have been the Miami game, which there is so much wrong with Miami. The, the way those guys are, act, guys doing the, the dance and they're down 13 nothing. you shouldn't be doing that. But I think it was a Miami player who ran for eight and a half yards on first down, got up and signaled first down. And like, yeah, you're not quite there, bro. You know, let's, let's pump the brakes on that. Anyway, little things that annoy you. And when you're watching football for 11 hours – you notice a lot of them. All right, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about how big a game this is, a little bit about the senior class. I'm going to get to uh, coaching carousel, my theory on Clay Helton. Yeah, I get that too. We will talk Gator hoops and uh, obviously about the college football playoffs. When we return here on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better. 
And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch, an online or phone chat for those quick questions, and a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. No one gets you ready to celebrate like the team at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You want great prices in a giant selection? They've got it. You need convenient locations, online ordering, and fast service? ABC's got you covered. Get a jump on this month's deals at abcfws.com. Visit any of their 123 Florida stores today for free samples or get expert advice from their beer, wine, or spirits experts. Don't forget a cigar in their walk-in humidor. ABC is Florida family-owned and operated since 1936. ABC. Always be celebrating. All right, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, did want to talk about um, the difference between Florida State Week and other weeks. Like, Georgia Week is a big week. It's always going to be big. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, if one team's ranked, one team's not. If both teams are ranked like they were this year, it's bigger. It's always big. It has a feeling of enormity to it. Uh, the LSU week is 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 kind of been changed because of some of the animosity based on uh, uh, the hurricane situation and everything. I don't want to relive that, but it's also got uh, got a heavy weight to it. FSU is different. FSU is mean. It's angry, and it is all year. And when you – look, you lose to LSU, you probably could go the entire year afterwards without an LSU fan taunting you, okay? You lose to Georgia, you might get one or two. They're pretty classy people for, for the most part that I have met and, and have a lot of good friends at Georgia. But FSU, it's a different story. It is just different. It's nasty. It's mean. And it it will be an intense rivalry. I, I think the interesting part of it is going to be because the 730 game, will it be as crazy wild as it was for Auburn? I know one of the players uh, yesterday said that he's hoping it will be uh, that kind of atmosphere. That atmosphere, again, I, I've said this on the, on this uh, podcast and, and everywhere I've talked, um, it that atmosphere – from kickoff to closing, opening to closing, was the best I've ever seen at Florida. I've seen the swamp louder. I've seen the swamp more insane. Seven ninety-seven FSU comes to mind. The the uh, obviously block kicking in South Carolina. I've seen it at ninety-one was one of the most incredible finishes and and where you're just like wanting to pull your hair out against FSU. For the Auburn game, though, from start to finish was the loudest, the most sustained energy I've ever heard from a Florida crowd. And I, I think it'll be there again for this game. I don't know if it'll be at that level. 3.30 games make it interesting. 7.30 games, sometimes you get worn out. In other words, either you've been drinking or partying or eating or hanging out at a tailgate, usually for a longer period for a night game. 
And I think fans do get a little tired at some point. They're like, let them take in this playoff. <laughs> I'm not going to scream again. I'm losing my voice and my buzz is wearing off or I'm starting to feel bloated from all the food we ate or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to take this playoff. So I don't know if it'll be as loud, but it certainly will be intense. It will be a, um, it will be a, uh, not a huge FSU crowd. Uh, we've seen it big at times. Uh, there were, I mean, shoot back in the day when that, when this, and again, uh, I was talking to Lee McGriff about this yesterday. Back in the day when, in the 90s, when Florida FSU was, I'm, I'm telling you, I know Florida State Miami was a huge deal and there were national championships being won there as well. But to me, Florida FSU, during that stretch from 91 through, I would say, 97, maybe even through 2001 because the whole Darnell Docket thing happened then, was the most intense rivalry I've ever been a part of in any sport, ever been around. And I know you can argue FSU-Miami, and I know Auburn-Alabama. I get all that. I'm, I don't hang around Auburn-Alabama very much, and I know how intense it is, and I've talked to people. But it was incredible. The two teams were so good. And, and winning that game was going to mean something to somebody every year. Um, it certainly has changed in that respect. Florida State's down now. Florida was down before. And uh, we'll just see where um, it goes from here. But it is a huge game for a lot of reasons. And I don't want to give away everything I'm going to write for Saturday's paper. But we all know what's what's happening with, um, with the college football playoff rankings. I mean, Florida obviously is not going to the college football playoff. But but they need to continue to move up. And, you know, they moved up a couple spots in the AP poll, and they'll move up probably, I would guess, tonight uh, as well. And it's important where they where they are, and I'll get to that in a minute. But for Florida to get it's, – it's an interesting concept because the SEC is so top-heavy this year. And for Florida to get ranked high enough that they'll definitely get in the New Year's Six Bowl – Obviously, the number one thing they have to do is beat FSU. You lose to FSU, you're going to the Outback Bowl. You know, you're not going to a. And, and again, I I love the Outback Bowl. They treat you really well there. Um, I like I like the stadium. I like the press box. So for me, it's it's okay. But for for you, I know, and for the program, it's not good. You want to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. You want to get to ten wins in the regular season. It means you've been bet. You are better than you were a year ago. And that is, that is a huge factor here. It's also a huge factor that right now Florida State and Miami are down and you got a chance to kind of put your stranglehold on them. I mean, FSU, and, and there, I know there's talk that they're, they're going to make a higher Monday. Because if you remember, the president said, or was the AD, one of them anyway, said, I think it was the AD said, that we're going to make a higher when, at the end of the season, as soon as the season's over. And so I think a lot of people are holding them to that. Doesn't mean they de- necessarily are. You know, there's a lot of speculation about what's going on around there, and, and I'll, I'll I'll address that in just a minute. But you know, for Florida uh, to win that this game when you've got them down, and you know you've got a chance to be in a New Year's Six bowl, and they're going both of them going to some lesser way lesser bowl uh, is is a great 
chance for you. It's a, as we talked about before, winning the state championship. Haven't been done around here in a long time. Not that you, they play each other all the time because of Miami situation, but win the state championship. That, that's a big factor as well. The number one reason that game Saturday night is so important. The number one reason. It's not because of recruiting. It's not because of the bowl game you get a chance to go to. It's not because of keeping them down while they're down. Both, you know, If you can keep Miami and FSU at bay, it should help with recruiting as well. It's not because of any of that. It's because it's FSU. And it's, and it's FSU, and I, I tell you what, I've never – I don't know if I've ever seen my wife bouncing off the walls like she is right now. And there and there are a lot of people like that. And I'm getting a lot of texts and emails about people want to win this game probably more than they want to win any other game. And that includes Georgia. Now, I'm not saying all people because all people would be a ridiculous statement to make because a lot of people would rather be Georgia if, they, if you gave them a choice. Georgia or FSU, they would take Georgia because of the ramifications for the SEC. But you can't beat Georgia now. That game's over. You can beat FSU. And the hatred between the two programs is palpable and it is intense. So that's the biggest reason. And, you know, there's this streak, and I wanted to address it because I know a lot of people wrote about it. Um, I think Robbie wrote about it today as well. But there is this streak that FSU has going, and if I was, if I had this streak going, I'd be happy and proud as a Seminole, right? Because they have not lost here since 2009, when on uh, Tim Tebow's final home game, which was un, one of the most unbelievable scenes with the flashlights and everything. It was well, when I say flashlights, it was people's cameras going off. It was an amazing scene, and Florida destroyed them. Since then, of course, Florida hasn't been very good. And, you know, the streak started for FSU when Florida scored two points in a game. And that was terrible. And then through the McElwain years, not good. So, but I, but I, I said this to somebody yesterday when we were in the press conference. I go, you know, I know, I know this is going to be a subject that people are going to write about. You can't help it. It's 10 years since Florida's beaten FSU in the swamp. That's unbelievable. In fact, uh, and I, I think Robbie was going to go look up if anybody else had ever won four in a row in the swamp. Uh, I, I'm sure he is, and maybe that's the story he's writing for tomorrow. At any rate, the bottom line, though, is this has nothing to do with anybody really who's here. This team, this coaching staff, it's 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 just a fun stat. It's it's something you'll see on game day. They'll be talking about, you know, they haven't won there since 2000. Yeah, well, Dan Mullen hasn't been here during any of that. Dan Mullen's 1-0, as he pointed out yesterday. All I know is I'm 1-0. And he didn't lose to FSU as an assistant coach either, an assistant coach. Um, these players, if you're a true senior, okay, if you're a true senior, so you came here in 2016, you've played FSU at home once. You, you're, you're, your streak is one. That's all it is. So I don't really care about the streak. Yeah, certainly. It, it sticks in the craw of Florida fans that they've lost, that they haven't been able to walk out of Florida field and enjoying a win over FSU. 
But really, how many times did you walk in to the swamp during that stretch of four games thinking you were going to beat FSU? Certainly not the year, the last year when the coach was fired two years ago. And Randy Shannon is coaching them. You knew they weren't going to win that game. You know, that was the game where you, I think the whole world basically turned on Felipe Franks. They're like, this guy can't play because he was awful in that game. You didn't think it in the year when you had absolutely no offense and you lost, what was it, 27 to 2, I think it was. But even though Florida's in the game, the defense is keeping them in the game for the most part until the end. I think Dalvin Cook ran that touchdown late. A run it up touchdown, but hey, I got no problem with running it up. Um, but it's, it's not like you've walked in there and gone, God, I can't believe we lost to FSU at home. No, eh. Florida went through some bad spells and they got FSU caught them at really bad times for Florida. So good for them. You want to win the game, but the number one reason you want to win is because it's FSU. That's all you need, that's the only incentive you need. So we'll see what happens. You know, like to me, the biggest thing about this game, and we're going to talk more about it on the Thursday podcast, this Gator defense, is it elite or not? Make up its mind. Because there are times when it looks so elite. They're 11th in the country in defense. That's pretty darn good. Considering the injuries they've had, I mean, you've had basically been – had it's been a non-Zaniga year – Grenard's been in and out, as we all know. C.J. Henderson out for a bunch of time. I mean, these are three of their – maybe their three best players on defense. Uh, you know, you could argue. I mean, you could make a David Reese argument there, but I, I think it's probably their three best players, their three most dynamic players on defense. And they haven't looked good at times. We all know that. We all There's no point in rehashing Georgia, no point in rehashing LSU. Or some of the other times that guys got open behind the defense. But still, is it an elite or not? I just kind of want to want them to go, yeah, just one more thing for you, Pat Dooley here. We're elite. And we're going to show you on Saturday. We're going to hold FSU to six. And, you you know, all the Gator fans are going to be happy. And like, if you're not happy with a 12-6 to six win over, over FSU, I don't, I don't, you and I aren't talking anymore. You got to win that game. That's the biggest thing. Um all right, now they're going to come out with the um, college football playoff rankings tonight. Let me talk about that real briefly, and then we'll bring in Chris Harry and we'll talk Gator basketball, which I could have spent the entire podcast. And don't forget, when we get into January and February, this podcast will continue. It'll be a once a week. We'll still still to be determined. I want to look at the schedule and make sure we can do it. Like, if there's a lot of Tuesday games, which I think there is, do it on Wednesdays. Uh, but we'll continue to do the podcast right through uh, spring football. So um, uh, those of you that enjoy it, I, and I'm glad you do. They're going to come out with it tonight, and here's what I think it'll look like. I think LSU will still be one, Ohio State two. But Ohio State could eventually creep past. If Ohio State beats Michigan and then beats um, whoever they play, what is it? Wisconsin or Minnesota, right? Be to that team. They could sneak past LSU. On the other hand, LSU has got A&M, which is like the weirdest team. A&M, it's like you watch them play and you go, they're not bad, but they're not good. Who have they beat? Nobody. They play the, the good teams tough, but they lose. So, um, but And then, of course, they would get Georgia – 
and that that would, could be a big win for him. So I I don't know whether LSU will stay one or two, and we talked about that. It's important for LSU because you know they they want to go to Atlanta and they got to hope that it doesn't just line up where it's Ohio State and LSU and and then you get the fourth place team ends up being say Utah and Ohio State says hey let's go let's go play this in the Fiesta Bowl it's actually better for our fans um, but they may not they may say hey let's go to Atlanta and keep those Utah fans from coming out there so anyway it, it, it's way, that's way down the line it'll be Clemson three Georgia four I know Georgia didn't look impressive but they won and that's that's what they do and you got to give them some credit for the most part I mean I know they lost last year or in the SEC title game, and I know they lost, uh, got killed by LSU, and I know this year they lost to South Carolina. But for the most part, what they've done in the last three years is they find a way to win when they're maybe not at their best, and they're not at their best. Jake Fromm is uh, still doesn't trust his receivers. His best receiver was injured for most of the game, and um, they're not that dynamic in, in that area, and they don't have to be for the most part. But they are what they are. I don't think they'll survive against LSU. It might be the greatest thing in the world for the Gators that they do. I can talk about that, too. Alabama will be five. Alabama beating Auburn may not be enough for Alabama. They need to beat that's not out of Auburn. They need to embarrass a great defense, and they need to do it with Mac Jones. Now, if Tua was there, I think think Alabama would, would boat race him. I really do, but he's not. Um. And then it'll be Utah six, I think, Oklahoma seven, and Florida eight. If and if that'll be great. The the thing is though, if you look, obviously there are three teams ahead of Florida from the SEC, and I'm not sure if they all win and then LSU beats Georgia. I'm not. I don't think Georgia would drop below Florida. Certainly LSU wouldn't. Uh, if Alabama wins this last game, they're not going to. So Florida would probably. I don't think there's almost and. Barring these major upsets, like if Auburn beats Alabama, that changes things. If A&M beats LSU, shoot, if Georgia Tech beats Georgia, everything changes, and it's college football, man, so we never know. But barring anything crazy happening, I don't think Florida can jump those three teams. But if they win this game against Florida State, uh, they'll need two teams to get in the uh, the playoff. And if that happens, for example, Florida fans, you may have to root for Georgia against LSU. Could you do that? Probably not. I understand. Uh, Minnesota, Michigan, Baylor will be the other. Again, they're getting hurt, Minnesota and Baylor, by their non-con schedule. Uh, but that's the way it works. Um, and we'll see. Where, is it going to be – how much is the name of the helmet going to matter? Uh, they like to tell you that it doesn't, but – it kind of does. We all know when you see that Alabama helmet against a Utah helmet, you're going elite, nah, pretty good. Doesn't matter how they've played this year. And again, Utah has done it by beating up on Pac-12 teams. And, you know, the Oregon loss really hurt them. Helped me, though. I enjoyed watching the game. Uh, all right. So, anyway, I'm going on and on and on. Let's talk a little basketball and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the coaching carousel and also do three things right after we take this break. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. 
Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Uh, great pleasure to be joined by my good friend Chris Harry, of course, from FloridaGators.com. Nobody covers the Gators like he does and uh, has great access and insight into everything and really knows the game of basketball, too. Um, so it's a pleasure to be joined by him. And, Chris, we start out by uh, talking about the incredible low and then the incredible high, not only by this team, not only by the coaches, but by fans who were ready to get rid of Mike White. And now they're like, maybe he's not so bad after all. <laughs> well, there's probably some happy medium in there somewhere, I would imagine. I mean, I'm not, I've never been on the uh, the Mike White. Uh, uh, I mean, the, 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 we all know what the guy walked into. Um, uh, you know, in 2015, in terms of um, taking over for one of the the the, the great, frankly, the great co- uh, coaches in college basketball, and you know, he was never he was never going to be Billy Donovan to his credit. He never tried to be Billy Donovan. Um, and here we are. You know, we, we can go back and forth about this all 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 you want, especially the. The, the and and they and, and they did get off to a tough start, especially the Florida State loss, um, the UConn loss that I, I don't think was as bad, although the offense didn't look very good in the first half. But uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's uh, won four straight, has four straight twenty-one seasons, three straight NCAA tournament trips, um, has won a game every year in the NCAA tournament. Only ten other programs have done that the last three years. So uh, um, let, why don't we give? Why don't we wait till Christmas? Okay, <laughs> until we start. Until 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 we start really really evaluating this team, but I, I think uh, to more to your direct point, Pat, what what Florida kind of showed um, uh, over the weekend in, uh, in in at the Charleston Classic was more of an indication of what they can be. They're certainly not even close to being a finished product yet, but um, it, it it did appear at that tournament. And certainly I was there, had a very good seat for it, that it makes a big difference, whatever offense you run, when the ball goes in the basket, especially from the three-point line. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yep. I, felt, I felt like, um, you know, what that team needed more than anything was confidence. And I know you wrote about it and you helped That's me right. out. That's right. You helped me out mm-hmm. with a little bit of it as, uh, for my column as well, that um, this team just needed to quit worrying. You know, and could feel like every shot they took, somebody was going to be quite, you know, critiquing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it wasn't going in. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You went when you're talking about uh, you have five guards on this team, okay, and you have Noah Locke who made 81 threes last year as a freshman record. Everyone knows that. And Andrew Nemhard who started to kind of his, I think his shot started to come of age a little bit late in the season. It's still it's 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 not great right now, but. I, I think we'll agree it's certainly better than it was last year. Certainly at this time of the year, um, you know, we're talking about Trey Mann, who really uh, who, who got who got off to a difficult start. But I mean, and 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 Scotty Lewis and Quez Glover um, going to Charleston. That that collection of those of those five guards were shooting twenty eight percent from the three point line. So that, <laughs> yeah, your guards good. are supposed to be no, your guards, your perimeter guys. They're the ones who are supposed to open things up for you. So when you when 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 that's not happening, then there's a lot that's not going to be happening on the interior. Um, and as long as we're talking about the interior, uh, frankly, the 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 getting the ball in the post wasn't 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 really uh, uh, something that the Gators were doing very well. And I'm not talking about just not in. Not looking into the post. I'm talking about executing an entry pass. Um, all this stuff, and and then we wind into it that 
This is a team with, uh, uh, except for Kerry Blackshear, the, the, everyone who played in, um, uh, in, in, in the win over Xavier was either a freshman or a sophomore. Now you can say, well, those sophomores played a lot last year. Yeah, they did, but not necessarily with these guys. Right. They played with themselves. They played with Keontae Johnson, played with Noah Locke. Yeah, and Andrew Nembar, those guys played together. But now you throw these other guys into the mix, and, it, you know, it, it's not football. It's basketball, and it's all about matchups, and one or two guys can make all the difference in the world on the court when you're talking about five guys. And, uh, 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 this is it's a it's a process obviously and you hear that all the time in just about everything but uh, um i think a little bit of the 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 panic if you will from from the from the from the fan base um was just misplaced because of the simple notion that when a team goes to the tournament like they were shooting 38 percent and on a, to- a totality, 24% from three-point range. Those were the numbers going in. They exit in those three games. They shot uh, 48% from the field and almost 41% from the three-point line. Um, I don't know if, if they're going to do that well uh, you know, as, as the season progresses, but that's going to make a big difference. And uh, I think it is more of an indication of who this team is offensively. Yeah, and like I pointed out today, uh, they they shot 57% in the first halves of those games. So basically, you get off to a good start. start. You get off to a good start, right. Right. You make shots. You see them go in. Um, The guy who's obviously been a – uh, I think everybody really has enjoyed watching this year, and and I don't I don't want to say he's made a huge leap forward because he was a good player last year, but Keontae Johnson seems like a different player, a little more aggressive, a little more assertive than he was a year ago. Yeah, and I think we saw that. Um, I'd say in the last, it was certainly in the SEC tournament and in, in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he, he, he they really got on him a lot in practice last year because for for his motor, and that was a that was a a, a, a knock on him kind of coming out of um, of Oak Hill Academy. He, I mean, they, I think Darius Nichols told me the story about it. they they had to sit him down and show him show him tape uh, of him of him at Oak Hill and him at Florida, saying, "Look, this is how you played at Oak Hill. You didn't have to go that hard at Oak Hill because you're better you're better than so many players you were playing against." Because you do that here, and this is what's going to happen to you. That's why you're not playing as many. That's why you don't like the minutes that you're playing. But like any freshman, you know, he figures some things out and, you know, got to the SEC tournament, had a two double-doubles, first freshman of Florida history. Uh, um, excuse me, since Don L. Harvey, 1999, have a double-double in the NCAA tournament. He did it two nights in a row. If you recall, he got the, he got the ball on the wing against LSU, attacked and made the pass off two feet, which this team, this, these coaches talk about. Quit jumping up in the air, throwing passes, land and make a two foot, two foot pass or make a two foot shot or whatever. And, and anyway, made the pass to Andrew Nimhart for perfect rhythm three. All this, a lot of stuff started to crystallize for Keontae Johnson. But I'm telling you, Pat, when he, his arms are so long, he's so athletic and he's, and he's, and he may not look like a beast, but he's very, very, very strong. When he gets going downhill, and he lower that shoulder a little bit and gets just enough crease. He can make a shot in a variety of different ways. He can get somebody off their feet and finish on the right side of the basket. I think you're seeing now he can really uh, outsmart uh, even a closely even in a closely guarded situation. It's an elite defender by doing this now reverse layup up and under kind of thing uh, with his right hand. That I think he did at least three times against Xavier and converted each time. But yes, he has taken a big step and. He was he was the obvious choice for uh, for MVP of that of, of that tournament. I thought he was terrific. Yeah, the other guy, um, and look, I I you know me, I I didn't 
panic when they got off to that two and two start. And I got, I kept telling he everybody, he no, he I didn't. said, I said, hey, it, it, it's a long season, let it go. And yep. uh, but there was early in the season when I'm watching Scotty Lewis, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get what's why Scotty Lewis is so great. Then, you get it now. I get it now. <laughs> I get it because I mean there there was a point and I I don't know if it was the St. Joe's or the Miami game they kind of run together where I was like man he's playing like Michael Jordan right now I mean he's nobody can get past him on defense you know his defense is unbelievable he's grabbing rebounds he's skying for rebounds he's dunking the ball like a maniac it must I think it was a Miami game and I said I don't want to compare him to Michael Jordan but he's playing like Michael Jordan used to play. Well, I mean, he's 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 not going to be the offensive player Michael Jordan's going to be. Yeah. But he can certainly he can certainly get to the basket. His 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 weakness is his shot. Um. Uh. But and I mean, I sat next to some NBA scouts. Uh. uh you know, if if he would just not maybe not shoot as much. I know he was he was one for seven in the Xavier game. But if you look back at his, I got these box scores right here. You look at it against St. Joe's. I mean. Eight points, four rebounds, two blocks, two steals in thirty minutes. That's a that's a pretty good line for yeah. a freshman. Then it, then you follow up like you mentioned it in the Miami game where he had a couple of those uh, crazy. He was five for ten from the floor, made a three, thirteen points, eight rebounds, three block shots, two steals. I'm just saying, um, it, it, defensively, he is a lottery pick. And and the like anything else, it's like well, I covered the NFL for years, and you saw a lot of and we you see flaws in all kinds of college players. Sure. The the NFL is always we'll fix those when he gets here. <laughs> NBA is the same way. He can't shoot. We'll get that when he gets here. But the the rest of the package, the length, the quick twitch, the uh, incredible a- athleticism, the elasticity, if you will. He had a block in the Xavier game toward the end of the first half. If you the guy got to the basket, it was it was going to be a make. He just came out of nowhere and just like swatted the thing, and then came down and 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 was right immediately in his defensive stance again, and contested a a a, a, a three point shot at the buzzer. So um, everything about Scotty Lewis was on display, kind of his buffet, uh, if you will, of, of 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 skill was on display up there in in Charleston. And again, I mean, the guy's played seven uh, basketball games yes. in college. Uh, uh, just you know, he's going to be. He's going to be a lot better in January. And, and frankly, this is something you haven't had around here in a while because, you see, you know, people like laugh when Kentucky loses games in December and what have you, and then you see them in March and they're a pretty good team. Yes. And their freshmen have gotten a lot better. Uh, and, and that happens, like, there's usually three or four of them like that uh, on Kentucky, uh, as you know, Pat. And, uh, and you know, we, we haven't seen anything I don't think anything from Trey Mann yet, but I can tell you right now, Trey Mann is the best pure scorer on this basketball team. He just hasn't really had a chance to show that, get in any kind of rhythm. The concussion obviously set him back, and you know they, they, we don't know what his role is going to be right now, but there should be one for him, um, and it's going to develop over the course of the next few weeks also. Last thing for you, Chris, and we appreciate your time. Um, as – People shouldn't have panicked at two and two. They shouldn't be overly excited at three and zero, oh, just because yeah. this, there's a tough schedule coming up. Not to mention the conference schedule, but but Florida hardly any home games and most mostly going on the road and playing really good teams. You know whether it's Butler or Utah State or teams like that. So it's going to be a. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're still like you said. They're not a finished product. I read your your story today. Not a finished product, and there are still going to be bumps in the road. 
Bumps in the road for sure. I mean, uh, they play Marshall uh, Friday night. It's a weird nine o'clock tip off on Friday, which sucks, of course. For you, um, yeah. For you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for you, you won't be there, but that's okay. If you were there, it would suck for you. Yes, yeah, uh, it sucks for your paper. Um, but you know, a week later, you're at Butler. Uh, uh, as of right now, I believe Butler's six and zero and playing pretty damn well. Yeah. Um, that you know, then then there's then there's the game in, uh, against Providence in New York. Uh, so and then there's the Sunrise game, and you mentioned Utah State. People look at that and roll their eyes. Well, they won 25 games yeah, last year, and they've already really beaten L- they've already beat they've beaten LSU already this year, yeah. I believe. So uh, that'll be a, that's not one of those typical Sunrise games where you go down there and you know you roll over Florida Gulf Coast or something. <laughs> so those are three really good teams, uh, probably uh, NCAA tournament teams that the Gators will be playing before they even uh, open the SEC season uh, against Alabama. So um, a lot of uh, uh, potential for growth, a lot of potential for setbacks, and certainly a lot of potential for learning on the fly, which is what this team is going to be about. Um, I do have to give credit. We haven't even mentioned him yet, Kerry Blackshear. He has been a tremendous um, kind of steadying hand for this team uh, i was watching the game and, and you know when you're when you're tweeting all throughout the game you're taking notes throughout the game you don't get to see stuff so i did get back and i got to sit there and and i rewound and, and watched the the game and a couple times especially late in the game when florida was not i mean their offense is terrible i think over six with five turnovers over the last six minutes of the game they only hit i think i think two free throws or four free throws saved them but Kerry blackshear kept looking at him put you know his hands you know point to going toward the floor calm down come down we're okay we're okay and they're going to need him and that kind of guidance uh, on the floor in addition to what the coaches are giving them as this team kind of develops and i uh, really he really really likes his teammates his teammates love him, and that's a chemistry that's also developing off the floor that will eventually translate on the floor and is doing so as we speak right now. He's a new Scotty Wilbekin. I'll never forget that against Dayton. That, that, huh, yeah, that, right. that time where Scotty got the ball and said, hey, everybody, stop. You're stop, playing yeah. like maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Hey. Appreciate you need, you need the, a guy like that. Yeah, I know. Appreciate the time, Chris. Chris Harry from FloridaGators.com. Great stuff on Florida basketball. We'll take a break and come back with more on the Duly Noted Podcast right after this. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, thanks so much to Chris Harry for coming on uh, the Duly Noted Podcast. And again, just to remind you guys, uh, we will have one up Thursday at some point, Thursday evening, probably if you're uh, full of stuffing and you want to listen to me to help you uh, digest or whatever, uh, we will have that. We'll talk a lot about all the games that are going on this weekend. It's, it's such a great weekend. It is, you know, I heard, I think it was Greg McElroy saying this at and he was right. It is such. It is the greatest week of the year because it is a short week, and it is, you know, it, it's a great family time on Thursday. You've got these all these NFL games all over the place. You've got all these college games all over the place. Rivalry games they mean so much to the teams, even when they don't mean. But they there are so many games with all these incredible uh, ramifications, you know, and and. I think I said this in my column. I think, I, yeah, I did. They would have ramifications if they weren't, uh, if they didn't have ramifications, they would still have them because they're such big rivalry games. Like Kentucky-Louisville, eh, it's going to decide which bowl you go to, not whether you go to a bowl. 
But you think that doesn't matter? That game out there? So we'll talk about those games on Friday, including Florida FSU, obviously, and talk about the spreads. I have some strong feelings about the spreads. All right. I'm curious to see what happens if this does happen Monday and FSU names a head coach because there's been this perception. I don't know how accurate anything is on during a coaching search. I know that I will just say we do our best to make sure we have it right. And for the most part, we get it right because we usually rely on people that are, are not just wild sources or just boosters or stuff like that that really know what's going on. Sometimes – we're behind a little bit on the story because somebody's thrown a flyer out there and said, hey, this this could happen. You know, I remember when it was going to be Urban Meyer and then everybody was like, uh-oh, Notre Dame's involved? Forget it. It's not going to be Urban Meyer. Sources have said. And then it's Urban Meyer. So you never know, okay, what's going to happen there. But the, the word out of the Tallahassee, I don't know, what do you call it, Seminole Nation, whatever it is, is that they're going after a big guy. That's why the the president has sent a letter to boosters asking him for more money and um, because they got to pay this guy. And it makes you a little nervous if you're a Gator fan. I would think you guys would be a little bit nervous about it. Maybe it is a big name. Maybe it, it is a name that um, is going to blow everybody away. And... I, again, I don't think it's Bobby Stoops. I mean, he's told Spurrier he's not interested in it. I don't think he wants to be a head coach in college again. I really don't. Uh, I would not be those surprised to see him end up with the Cowboys. Uh, that's the Cowboys' job is going to be fascinating because to me, the three candid, three guys I would bet it would come from if they do fire Jason Garrett and appears he's heading out the door would be Stoops, Urban Meyer. And um, and uh, obviously Tom Herman. Now Tom Herman's stock certainly has dropped. They're six and five for gosh sakes. This was a team that was supposed to be back, so maybe not him. Um, but if FSU is going to hire a coach, you got to feel like he may not. You know, I, is it a is it that big of a name like that he? Well, will be in the playoffs. Well, you can't be – I'm sure that wouldn't happen. And so the name that keeps getting attached to this is James Franklin. And James Franklin also being attached to the USC job, which is not open yet. My theory on Clay Helton is and, – and this may be obvious to other people and maybe I'm – or maybe I'm just dead wrong – is that USC can't make a move because if Utah loses this week – I think I'm right on this. If I'm wrong, don't at me – if Utah loses this week, USC goes to play for the Pac-12 championship and they are they don't want to undercut a team that would have a chance to win the Pac-12 championship. But if they if if Utah wins Sunday, you're going to see an announcement on Clay Helton. Maybe maybe not. That that's my theory anyway. But this whole James Franklin thing should make you nervous if you're a Gator fan. James Franklin's done a great job at Penn State. He's a good recruiter, very good recruiter. He won at Vandy. You can't win at Vandy. He won at Vandy. He won big at Vandy. And that should make you a little nervous. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to it. I, I, it's just kind of through the grapevine. There's also buzz about some other people. Brian Kelly's name has come up. Um, 
I that wouldn't scare me as much. Um, there and again, it could end up being and my here's here's mine. Uh, this is totally out of left field, but I've thought about it. And I think I may be it may be right, and and I'm not right that often. The one I was the one I always took pride in was Lane Kiffin to USC. I got that right before anybody else did. I I knew that was coming. But with this, this is really a left field shot. Okay, what happened this week at Rutgers? Rutgers announced that they were not going to hire Greg Schiano, who had, of course had been a a very successful coach there. They weren't going to hire him because. Uh, they couldn't work out a deal. They couldn't get the money right. And at first, I'm like, wow. Because the, the Rutgers people have lost their minds. All the their big boosters have said, look, not only are we not going to give you money, not only are we not going to buy season tickets, we're put, taking you out of our will. So that's not a good look for Rutgers. But is it possible that FSU is after Greg Schiano? who everybody acknowledges is a really good coach. Um, now, I know that Tennessee was ready to hire him and that whole Sandusky stuff came up, and it sounds to me just – but, again, I don't know, but from from what everything I hear and, and read, it sounds like he's kind of gotten smeared a little bit in that, but maybe, there, maybe he should have done more or should have done something. I, again, wasn't there, don't know. But that cost Tennessee – him and a lot of people thought it was the dumbest thing Tennessee's ever done in a long list of dumb things. Okay, so maybe FSU came in and said, "Hey," and they worked at it and they said, "Look, we're going to give you more than that. That money that they're talking about, shoot, we we're going to find the money. We're going to go to our boosters and we're going to ask for it. We're going to get it, and we're going to bring you in name recognition in the state as a terrible coach with the Bucks." But he was a coach of the Bucks. He's been a head coach. He's been successful. Um, I'm telling you guys, don't be stunned if it's Greg Schiano. Um, I I think all Florida fans right now are just hoping they screw it up, and they end up doing something, and you go, "What? Really? Okay, come on, bring it on." But the the thinking is they're going to do it. Right away, and Monday would make some sense. Greg Schiano, what? Listen, listen for that. I may be, <laughs> I may be so far off base on this because it's just a guess. It's a hunch. All right, um, and, and and it's funny because you know Ohio State's coach um, Ryan Day, who's done an unbelievable job, was um, talking about Ohio State Michigan being the biggest rivalry in all sports, and look. It's it's a big rivalry. Auburn Alabama is a bigger rivalry in Alabama and the South probably. Florida Georgia is a big rivalry. Florida FSU is a big rivalry. You know Notre Dame Southern Cal used to be a big rivalry. I mean, every, they're all big rivalries. It's like when people say we have the best fans in the country. No, you don't. You all have great fans. The fans and they all and they'll all abandon you when you lose. Okay, all of them. Now, you can say, well, Nebraska's still show up. Yeah, but you don't think they talk bad about Nebraska and Scott Frost right now? So, um, anyway, that, that's something I throw in there. You know, let's do three things. You want to do three things right now? Yeah, let's get to three things. It's time for three things. Three things. 
All right, number one. This one, this is like one of my le- like I I hate cliches. I try to avoid them at all costs. We joke about them, you know. Like Robbie and I'll get on a cliche rant. We'll just kind of go back and forth with the worst cliches. Um, what was the movie? Now I can't think of the movie, so I better stop trying to think of the movie. What was the movie where? Oh, it was. Uh, I know what it was. It was uh, one of my favorite, A Few Good Men. Tom Cruise picks up the papers every morning, and they kind of go back and forth with cliches. Well, that's what Robbie and I do. But one of my least favorite cliches is you can throw the record books out. It's rivalry week. You can throw the record books out. Well, in the first, here's why I don't like that cliche. And, and again, a cliche, one reason I don't like to use them, and I always have cautioned other people against using them, people who actually, believe it or not, there are people who care what I think about writing, and there are uh, and and there was a guy that we used to work here, and I used to get on him about cliches. Cliches are somebody else's good idea. Cliches are somebody else's line, and you're just repeating their line. Come up with your own line. That that's always been my philosophy. Anyway, one reason I hate cliches, or, or this cliche in particular, is because you can throw the records out every game. That's why we have upsets in college football the way we do. I'm not saying you can throw them out in the NFL. They seem to, but even there, you know, teams kind of come out of nowhere. But for the most part, the favorites win more times than not. College football, there are upsets all the time. You could have thrown, did you throw the records out when Arizona State played Oregon last week? Did you throw the records out when FIU played Miami? I think they wanted their records thrown out. Yeah, you. The records are meaningless, and and certainly in a in a game. With the rivalries, of course you can throw the records out. But at the same time, better look at the records because you know what? There's one team that's had a good year, one team maybe that hasn't. That team's probably going to win, and that's going to be the favorite. So you can throw them out or you can pay attention to them. Either way, it doesn't matter. You are what your record is, but you, but it doesn't have an effect on the game. You know what I mean? Like you are what your record is. If you're 9-2 and two right now, that's what you are. Doesn't mean you can't lose this. We can go nine and three and as a seventeen point favorite. It can happen. It's college football. All right, number two, uh, the Heisman, uh, of course, really amps up with, and, and I think for a lot of voters. So I'm as soon as they get their ballots, they're going to send them out because they they shouldn't be voting. And I've had a, a I'm not going to go into my long dissertation about how there should be a hundred Heisman voters and people who really know the game and watch the game but that's not the way they do it they want to make it a popularity contest and we all know that joe burrow's probably going to win it and i've been saying all along he's going to win it i watched justin fields on saturday i want to get a full game of justin fields because i've seen bits and pieces as you do when you're a writer uh, in press boxes uh, and I, I he's a really good player he's having a really incredible year but heisman no i i, I did i I told myself, no. I, I looked at him. I said, he's not the best player on his team. Chase Young is the best player on his team. And now you get to the question, and I asked this in my column, if a guy's been suspended for two games, can you really vote for him for the Heisman? Not just that he missed that time, and he would have piled up incredible stats because they were playing two awful teams. But he was suspended. It suspended. Put the quote marks around it. I know what he did wasn't that big a deal, but it was a rules violation. So he broke the rules. 
you know, and it, was, it was last year, but he did break the rules and got suspended. Can I really vote for him for the Heisman? Now, I don't think he'd be the first choice. I don't think there's any way Joe Burrow's going to not be the number one on my ballot um, unless he, like, robbed a bank. But Chase Young is probably two. Do I uh, not worry about his suspension? I don't know. That's something I really am have to give a lot of thought to. And I don't know who number three is. I, I you know, I, it may be, end up being Fields. He may get on, on my ballot, it, if he, especially if he has a great game against Michigan. I don't see any way that he would move up to maybe even to two. I, I, I think three is about the best on my ballot. But again, we got We still have two weekends of games, and I'm going to pay attention to all of them. Uh, finally, number three. Uh, again, we see a referee's screw-up, and we see their league hold them accountable for making mistakes. This time, it was the NFL. We talked about the Pac-12 doing it last week. This is something I think that at the SEC media days, I don't know if this is going to be my last one or next to the last one. or look, We all know that it's only going to last so long. Maybe my last SEC media days. And I'm going to have a confrontation with Steve Shaw. I've decided that. Or Greg Sankey, one or the other. And I'll do it privately where I pull them off to the side and ask them why there can't be transparency, why we can't know when something was a terrible call. It's not going to make anybody feel better. I know that. It's not going to change the outcome of games. But I think we have a right to know as fans who are paying a lot of money to go to games, for fans who are spending a lot of their, investing a lot of money uh, on, on their program that they care about. It's not as much for me as it is for the fans. But in this case, the NFL came out and said, yeah, those two tripping calls were a joke. You, when you watch the one, I don't even know what the guy was seeing. Sometimes I think in the NFL, too, they get a little over-officious where they're just like, I think that might have been something. Throw a flag. Yeah, I think he might have tripped him. Replay doesn't overturn everything. Replay doesn't show everything. And I know the pass interference thing, which I think personally is a bit of a joke that you can have now pass interference that happened to the Saints the other day uh, overturn or called when it, when, um, when it wasn't called on the field, even though it might have been the right call. I don't know. I – Anyway, the point of number three here was was that uh, I just wish the SEC could be more transparent and let us know. Did a guy screw up? Should that kick have been good? Should, was that really a catch? Can you explain to me, please, the difference between those two plays against Vanderbilt and Georgia? Please, if you do and you have a logical, maybe you have a great explanation, why is that better than nobody knows what a catch is anymore? I don't get that. Is it me? Am I the one at fault here? Yes? What do you mean? Stop talking to yourself. All right, that's going to do it. I hope I have uh, entertained you today. Whew, that was a long 55-minute podcast. Um, good. What else you got to do? Uh, listen to this. And again, Thursday, we'll have another one up Thursday evening. Probably won't be quite as long, but Chris Dorian will join us on that one. Thanks again to Chris Harry for coming on. Uh, and appreciate all of you for listening. It is uh, really my honor to do this podcast for all of you. Until next time, my name is Pat Dooley. I'm the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep, I am way back, and I am out of here. 
The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC, always be celebrating.